Pastor Xavier Reese defines marriage as marriage was intended. Every man and woman is to know that the norm for life is to have a mate, monogamous, heterosexual relationship, being faithful in marriage. This standard, by the way, is New Testament, and this standard has never changed. Do not let the culture dictate the agenda or the standard. Do not let your rationale dictate the standard for your life. You put yourself out in jeopardy. It's just the way it is. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Matthew Henry made this interesting observation concerning the Seventh Commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. This is put before the Sixth Commandment by Jesus in the Gospel of Mark, when He said to the rich young ruler, Do not commit adultery, do not kill. For our chastity should be as dear to us as our lives and we should be as much afraid of that which defiles the body as that which destroys it. Let's pick up today's Simple Truth study as Pastor Xavier begins with some introductory remarks. Ronald Reagan, on August 23, 1984, declared, The frustrating thing is that those who are attacking religion claim they are doing it in the name of tolerance. Question, he says, Isn't the real truth that they are intolerant of religion? Good observation. Wish we had more presidents like that. Morals, marriage, and Christian homes are being opposed more and more each day by our liberal legislation and laws denying the very basic principles that are endowed to us by the Declaration of Independence. Listen to it very closely. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. We, therefore, the representatives of the United States of America in General Congress assembled, appealing to the supreme judge of the world for the rectitude of our intentions and for the support of this declaration with a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. We mutually pledge to each other our lives, our fortunes, and our sacred honor. The founding fathers of America would be appalled at the new progressive and liberal America that has become exactly this anti-family and anti-marriage after the historical Judeo-Christian ethic, both in word and in deed. A good example is a lax attitude towards adultery in America, which was one of the top 10 reasons for divorce throughout the 90s, a spousal fidelity was 58%. Secular researchers, and I'm gonna give you this morning, not Christian researchers, secular researchers, reveal there are five main reasons for adultery. Loneliness, communication barriers, lack of love and affection, a poor sexual relationship, and lack of intimacy. Let me propose that all these are a byproduct of having a relationship with Jesus Christ. And when Christians fall into this, they've not cultivated the relationship. They're living for self. As we continue in our series of the Ten Commandments, we come then to the Seventh Commandment. You shall not commit adultery, verse 14 of Exodus 20, which we want to approach through a threefold perspective. As before, first, the proclamation of the commandment. Secondly, the interpretation of the commandment. And then we want to finish off by the 
condemnation of the commandment. Notice the seventh commandment is the third of the second table of the law. The second table deals, as you know, with man's relationship to man, righteousness. This is the horizontal plane. The table deals with man's right conduct towards a fellow man. We've said this over and over again. You may get sick of it. I'm going to say it till we get done because it's so important. The vertical axis is the priority by having proper understanding and belief in God. The horizontal plane is the response of knowing God, how I deal with you, how I treat you, whether I repent, whether I ask forgiveness. The first commandment is the foundation of the next three, an extension of the first. The fifth commandment is the foundation of the last five. Now, the seventh commandment is based on the Judeo-Christian understanding that God is the author of the institution of marriage, having specific things in mind. First, the Lord God instituted marriage for companionship. We go back to Genesis 2.20. It says, And so Adam gave Adam names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field, but the Adam was not found a helper comparable to him. The key is helper comparable to him. There it is, companionship. The man Adam named all the animals that God created, quite a feat, all cattle, all birds of the air, all beasts of the field. And he didn't stutter or think a lot. Now, they used to have the statue of the thinking man. When I first came to the United States in Belmont High School, they had the thinking man, 1957. Used to be an emblem of, of, of scholarship, of critical thinking, of excellence in high schools and colleges. It's nowhere around because most professors, and they don't think. They produce quacking ducks, indoctrination. Adam, in performing this task, became conscious there of his incompleteness without a mate, helper comparable to him. Adam's created design would naturally desire and expect God to create a mate for him, having made him in the image and likeness of God, a social being. Listen to what he said. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper comparable to him. Genesis 2.18. But secondly, the Lord God instituted marriage for community. Companionship, community. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Genesis 2.24 says the first portion. There was and is to be a severing of parental authority. Thank God. Remember that in-laws, alias, outlaws. Get out of your kids' families. You're only there by permission, and you're there limited. Now, this does not mean we abandon or neglect our parents. We love and honor them, but rather it's a protection for the newlyweds, lest the parents create problems. And there are many in-laws that create problems for their children, okay? And even in Christian circles. Your place is not in the marriage of your children. And by the way, if you can't provide a home for your bride, you have no business getting married. You don't move in with mom and dad. Okay, You need to provide for that young lady. Maybe not on the same level as the father, but you need to provide. If you can't provide, then you have no business getting married. You're looking for trouble. And ladies, when he asks you to get married, it's not on the condition that you work. Okay? <laughs> and so the boundaries are to be set by the husband and the wife, the head being the husband for the in-laws. Now there is to be a newly based authority through the help me and the man, the head, 
But once again, we've gone over this over and over again. It's the man who's the head of the home, the authority, as a type of Christ, not as a dictator. It's entered into by private devotion and by a person's free will. I've done many weddings in 35 years. I've never seen a woman dragged up to the altar. They've all walked up with a big smile. It is recorded as a legal document for society to have order. But there's also to be a cleaving to the new authority. It says they are to be joined, which means to be glued to one's wife until death do you part. It's the same word that is used for the marriage relationship between Israel and God in Deuteronomy 10.20 and other passages. Identical. The closest, most binding of all relationships, husband and wife. Parents to children is not the most binding. It's very temporary. Unless you're under the condition of fat birds don't fly far. If you feed them, they'll keep coming back. There's a time when they leave the home. We don't kick them out. It's a natural process. You understand? I am now, for once you're 18, you're out of here. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says, now that you're 18, you're responsible, and you honor my home if you want to stay here. You can stay here till you're 30. If you're responsible, you're godly, you honor the home, I have no problem with it. But it's not your home. You don't run it. It's just that simple. There's to be submission to the new authority. For efficiency, it never implies inferiority. For the glory and honor of God, being one. There's a commitment also of the covenant of marriage as God's institution for the Christian, because this is the context of speaking to God's people. Certainly it applies to all, because God created an institution of marriage. But for the Christian, they're more responsible. It's marked by steadfast love, faithfulness, confidentiality, forgiveness, patience, tenderness, sacrifice, Blessing and comfort. Dying to self constantly, daily. Devoted for life by a vow. Not devoted through emotions, circumstances, or unrealistic views of romance. Too many people get married that way. But notice also that the Lord God instituted marriage thirdly for cohabitation. Genesis 2.24, the second part says, and, and they shall become one flesh. The one flesh takes place, by the way, first at the altar, before God and the witnesses. They're one before God, husband and wife. The word one is a compound unity. It's the very same word, the exact word that is used for God as a triune God in Deuteronomy 6.4, the Shema of Israel. The Lord our God is one, a kad. If it would have been one absolute one, monism, it would have been yahid. It's a kad, a compound unity, same word. Though you're two, male and female, you're one, a compound unity, but one. They are no longer two people, but one unit, complements, accomplishing the purposes of God through marriage. Now, the one flesh also indicates a sexual oneness, but the focus is community, not recreation. Okay? As our society has made sex. The most intimate expression of their love and commitment by the physical consummation, a deep emotional and physical and spiritual experience. And don't miss that spiritual. Paul tells the Corinthians, don't you know that you will make the Lord one spirit with a harlot? There's more than physical union. It's more than aerobics, ladies and gentlemen. There's a spiritual union going on. 
strengthening and affirming the oneness of that marriage and that life commitment. It's the celebration of their oneness as two bodies become one to be forever united through the byproduct of children, that amazing byproduct, a unique combination of both of you, one genetic male, one genetic female, reproducing after their kind. It's a manner of obtaining a unique form of pleasure and joy with and by and for each other. And if it's cultivated, God has allowed us to enjoy each other for life. Incredible. But the Lord God also instituted marriage for, listen, sexual contentment. In Genesis 2.25, it says, And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. The nakedness was perfectly normal and right due to the marriage. The word naked means simply to bear before each other or unclothed. Now, the commentator Delis says this, quote, They were naked, but yet not so. Their bodies were the clothing of their internal glory, and their internal glory was the clothing of their nakedness, because this was prior to the fall. Different. But after the fall, God clothed them with clothes, Genesis 3.21. So this whole thing, well, you know, we just, we just think it's very natural to walk around without clothes. Natural for you because you're not looking at yourself. Put some clothes on. <laughs> it's a bunch of junk. Their eyes were open. They knew they were naked, it says Genesis 3.7. The slightest embarrassment that might be at the honeymoon night or thereafter is soon dissipated because of the joy, the approval, and the design of God as husband and wife. How interesting that God created man to have sex facing face to face. There's no shame. There's an accountability. There's a devotion. There's a total commitment to each other. You understand, ladies and gentlemen? The man and woman were not ashamed due to marriage. Understanding God's design of marriage for male and female. Obeying the covenant of marriage is to be marked by steadfast love. Stick to itness, if you will. Being completely vulnerable to each other. No one knowing your mate or understanding them like you. No one else. You're unique to each other. Adultery see as an offense against the image and likeness of God in which man is created. It degrades man. It degrades the woman. Since 1971, and these statistics are secular, William F. Michelle Jr. has documented activities of those committing adultery. He's an investigator witnessing all these activities. And in uh, May 11, 2002, he published his statistics. Listen to some of them. Within the last decade, uh, or here, 100% of adulterers violate the trust they share and enjoy with their spouse, he says. 10 to 20% of spouses cheating begins at internet affairs in chat rooms or at game websites. 75% of adulterers are middle-class wage earners. 1 to 5% of adulterers are pastors and clergy. Hmm. 60 to 70 percent of adultery victims are women. 30 to 40 percent of adultery victims are men. This number, of course, has increased, he says, dramatically over the past decade and a half, due in part to the increased presence of women in the workforce. 
Ladies, you take yourself out of the covering of your husband, under the authority of your husband, and you put yourself under in the environment of everybody else. It's just a danger point. 10 to 20% of adultery victims claim to be Christians, and the cheating spouse usually is a, re- a regular attendant at church or religious activities. 15 to 20% are repeated offenders. 99.9% deny that they have ever had an affair and they're hiding the truth. The exception is when they confess without being forced into it. And then he says 70 to 80% who willingly confess to infidelity recover and enjoy a stronger marriage in time. Interesting statistics from the world. Now, I don't buy all these accurate because when you're being pulled for adultery, half of you probably lying. No one tells the absolute truth about that. You understand? But this is half truth. We're in deep trouble. <laughs> Every man and woman is to know that the norm for life is to have a mate, monogamous, heterosexual relationship being faithful in marriage. Listen to 1 Timothy 5.14. Therefore, I desire that younger widows marry, bear children, manage the home, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. This standard, by the way, is New Testament, and this standard has never changed. Do not let the culture dictate the agenda or the standard. Do not let your rationale dictate the standard for your life. You put yourself out in jeopardy. It's just the way it is. This is not a suggestion. It's the standard for the Christian. God wills marriage for a moral society and to properly represent God. Paul the Apostle in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 says, Nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. God gives some uh, the gift of celibacy. That's the exception. 1 Corinthians 7, 7. It's a gift from God. But the majority of us will be married, as we've said this before. Every man and woman is held responsible for the covenant of marriage. It is not one-sided. Men and women are to act in accord with the knowledge of the image and likeness of God. He's talking to the people of God. Man is a social being, as we've said, created for commitment to one person in marriage. Man is not to act like some animal who just roams and mates with whoever allows them, but to be content and committed in the marriage relationship. Let me give you the words of Jesus in Matthew 19, 6. He says, So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And he's talking about divorce. And we'll get into the specifics as we move along. But these are the words of Jesus, you understand? And he quotes Genesis. Paul quotes Genesis. Every man and woman longs to communicate with the opposite sex, as you know. The problem is, that once marriage takes place, several things can result. First, the man and woman can become indifferent, insensitive, uninvolved, or unconcerned. We get so busy and caught up with ourselves that we forget we're married. Marriage must be cultivated daily, as you know. And it begins the moment you get out of bed every day. How you get up, what you say, how you respond. How you treat your spouse before you leave. Ecclesiastes puts it this way, 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. 
But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. The proclamation of the commandment is the affirmation that God instituted marriage. Secondly, you have the interpretation of the commandment. We need to be clear about this. The seventh commandment is once again a very specific prohibition. The command once again here is negative. It's recorded also in Deuteronomy 5.18, as you know. The first three in the first table of the Decalogue are negative. The only two positives is the fourth and the fifth as we've seen. Now, the last five are also in the negative. And the seventh commandment here, adultery, is a violation of the first three. The longing of a person instead of God. Idolatry worship of another person. And taking God's name in vain by dealing, defiling another person's mate. The seventh commandment, adultery, is also a violation of the fifth, the sixth, the eighth, the ninth, and the tenth. Dishonoring parents, murder, because when you commit adultery, you're killing, you're destroying. Taking what belongs to another, being a false person, and coveting another person's mate. The seventh commandment is one of the works of the flesh, by the way, in Galatians 5.22. The seventh commandment prohibits any person who is married to have sexual intercourse with anyone apart from their mate, be they husband or wife. It is for both of you, not just one. Job calls it a heinous crime in Job 31.11. The word is used for both men and women having sexual intercourse with another person being married, but far more numerous times for men. Leviticus 18, Deuteronomy 22, many other portions. But as we've seen in the secular statistics, this has changed around with our new society and our modern society and our postmodern society and our liberal society and everything else. Things have changed around. And so I always tell ladies, you've come a long ways, baby, but the wrong direction. God has wanted to protect the woman. Man has put her out as fair game. The word is used for Israel's covenant of unfaithfulness towards Yahweh. And he put her away by certificate of divorce, Jeremiah 3.8. The book of Hosea is a classic example as he redeems her back. The seventh commandment also implies a prior commitment to the covenant of marriage and accountability. They were the people of God entering into covenant with God. They're here at the foot of Mount Sinai. Moses is up in the mountain. They knew God created man for the purpose of marriage. They were aware of Genesis. They were aware of God's standard. Both husband and wife had entered into covenant marriage by a vow for a life commitment, faithful to one another. They understood that both were to resist every and all opportunity and desires to break that marriage covenant. They were both to understand adultery is first against God. Even as Joseph told Potiphar's wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Genesis 39.9. Sin is always first against God. You remember David? 
Psalm 51, against you and only you have I sinned, God. You sinned with Bathsheba, against Uriah, killed him, but he sinned against God first. Pastor Xavier Reese, giving some perspective that our sin, no matter what the offense, is always an offense to God first. And there's much more of this message to come next time, but if your schedule won't permit you to tune in, as always, you can pick up a copy. And the title you want to ask for is simply The Sanctity of Marriage. It's available on CD for only $4. And this might be a study you'd like to pass on to someone in your church or Bible study when you're through. Now, once again, the title to ask for is The Sanctity of Marriage, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 